Hello and welcome to Navigating NCIS. I'm Jesse and this is a show where we break down NCIS Sydney by looking at the story, characters, scenes and other takeaways. Who knows, eventually we might look at some other NCIS series. In this episode, we have the eighth and final episode of season one titled Blonde Ambition, written by Morgan O'Neill and directed by Catherine Miller. Thanks for joining me on this eight-episode first season of NCIS Sydney. Hopefully you've enjoyed the ride as much as I have putting these together for you. As always, this uh, will be filled with spoilers. So if you haven't seen this episode yet, or if you're in America and it hasn't even hit the airwaves yet, give us a pause, come back a little bit later on because we're going to talk about this episode and we do start off with what's been in the news in the last week to, to do with NCIS Sydney. And the only sort of news is from TV Tonight. They're a great Australian television news website. I've read them for quite a few years. They're usually pretty trusted. So they've reported that a rumor has already been said that season two's got the green light ready to go. They've reported that the main cast have been signed for multiple seasons with filming for season two set to begin around Easter. So March, April of 2024. So not too long before it it hits off, which is quite exciting really. And as we get into this episode, I'm sure you'll probably, uh, be eager to see the next episode and see where this show is going. So, uh, Paramount's patter. What a what Paramount's prepared little line for this episode. So it goes with uh, JD's son is kidnapped by an international assassin in exchange for a wanted criminal in NCIS custody. It puts NCIS Sydney in the global spotlight and exposes an enemy within. Uh, probably gives away a little bit <laughs> about this episode in that uh, that title. So obviously adding a little bit of intrigue in there too and you know jd's son's kidnapped we get that already and that there's an enemy within so um as we get to that final scene of this episode we're probably going to talk about that a little bit more but let's break down this episode plot point by plot point feel free to skip forward a couple of minutes if you're not interested in hearing everything about this episode but this is uh exactly what happens in the episode so we start off with a previously on this show recap which uh, we haven't had before and it goes all the way back to episode one with the shootout the boat explosion, the missing blonde, the bunker, the sleeper cell. So some interesting things to remind us of what this episode is going to cover. We then cut to this kid's birthday party in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. There's a clown who isn't impressing the kids or the parents. It's revealed that the party is for Jack, JD's son. And JD is meant to be at the party, but he has a habit of missing his own son's birthdays. The cake is served, but the kids tell Beck, JD's ex-wife and Jack's mother, that the clown made him disappear and she runs out onto the road screaming, chasing after the clown van with her son in it. At headquarters, Deshaun and Evie are having some small talk over his deodorant (laughs) while JD and Mackie are coming back from the interview room where the blonde villain from who was arrested at the end of last episode, she sits there. JD's phone is getting hammered with calls from Beck, his ex-wife, Deshaun says there's no records of the blonde anywhere in the world and Blue hasn't had any fit hasn't had any hits on her photo with any agencies either. JD and Mackie go in to interrogate her. She laughs them off while they try to scare her about what will happen when organizations higher up from them get to her. She says her real name is Anna Nemus while she puts on a variety of accents from around the world. JD finally answers his phone and finds out that his son has been kidnapped. 
JD then rushes to the house where he tries to console Beck, they argue, and then he gets a video call from the clown asking JD to swap his boy for the blonde girl they have in custody. JD storms back into headquarters and gets aggressive towards the blonde before Mackie tries to calm him down and tells him she will do whatever it takes to get her son back, but her call is that he steps away from the case. Evie tries to trace the clown's phone but has no luck, but they've tracked down the company the clown works for and they're gonna search for the van. Blue has some photos of the clown from the party and works on facial recognition as well. Mackie gets a call from Carter, who we haven't seen since the first episode, giving her notice that the FBI, the FBI, are on route, or route, and that she should get moving. Mackie goes to see Rankin to ask for help. He asks if they've considered the swap because he would do it if it was his own kids, but says he will do what he can to stall the FBI. Blue's working on the clown photos while JD is sitting in the doc's office. The doc comes in and gives a story about how he has been with his wife for nearly 40 years and the only reason that it lasted for so long was because he was deployed for so much of it. But their work comes at a cost. JD gets a call and leaves quickly. JD then pulls up at the harbour where they found the van. The bomb squad is checking it out and they can hear a human voice inside the van. JD freaks out and thinks it's his son. So he runs towards the van but it explodes, knocking him back. Doc takes photos of the van and the body inside while JD is checked out by paramedics and is quite rude to them. Doc tells him that it's an adult body, so not his son, and probably the original clown that was booked to do the party. Doc has sent the explosives to Blue to check out and he's also found Conifer taped to the body, a calling card of the killer. At headquarters, JD tells the team to go wide looking for the murderer with and for murder crime scenes with conifers while Blue talks to Mackie about finding the photo of the clown and that the explosives are from the US military, the same used in the first episode to blow up the boat. Mackie goes into the room with the blonde, the interrogation room, and shows her the photo. The blonde says she's never asked this guy to bail her out and that she doesn't have a boss, but whatever the clown is asking for, they should give it to him because it won't end well if he has to take what he wants. At headquarters, Mackie looks at the photos of bodies around the world with conifers. Evie says it has to do with a pagan tradition in the Russian Orthodox Church. Blue then uses a map to show where the Russians live in Sydney. Mackie and JD go to a Russian Orthodox Church and talk to a priest who can identify the clown and gives them very little other than it's Pentecost, which is the second most important date on their calendar. JD and Mackie walk the street outside and stop outside a delicatessen where JD goes in and says, well, people still have to eat during this holiday. He asks for the food delivery log and he identifies that all the deliveries were to residential addresses except one, which is a storage locker. JD and Mackie race to a storage facility, storm in with guns and find one unit unlocked. They go in and see that it's empty, but only recently, and JD finds his son's hat. At headquarters, Deshaun and Evie are going through evidence and JD gets a text with a location to meet the kidnapper in an hour or his son dies. JD realizes that the jammer from the previous episode from the bunker is still on. So JD and Mackie go back into the blonde in the interrogation room and show her the jammer and tell her that the off switch was never connected, meaning her boss wanted her to die down there. JD tells her that the guy isn't planning on rescuing her, but killing her. She gives them the name Yaslov Yudkin. JD runs out with a name and tells the team to get onto it. Mackie gets a call from Rankin saying the FBI have landed while JD is losing it. Mackie goes outside to meet the FBI and walks them inside while trying to stall them. They are firm in wanting to take the blonde chick straight away and go to see 
her. And when they do, they discover she's gone. There's a cut to JD driving a van while at headquarters, the FBI berate Mackie and the team. Doc adds some quips and they are told that their careers are pretty much done. JD then parks the van at the meeting point and finds a phone which has further directions. He opens the boot of the van and the blonde chick is in there. Back at headquarters, Rankin stays behind while the FBI team leave and tells Mackie that he knows JD took the blonde chick and he will do his best to look out for the team, but JD is on his own. Blue is in the lab trying to track JD's location and realizes he took the GPS out of the van while Deshaun and Evie get in the car to try and find him. JD and the blonde are driving to the next location while Blue finds JD's phone's location and sends it through to Evie and Deshaun. JD and the blonde arrive at the cliff location where Yutkin has a bag over his son's head and a gun to his head as well. Evie and Deshaun get to the first location and realize JD has left his phone there. Utkin tells JD to get on his knees and puts a gun to his head. Back at headquarters, Rankin gives Blue access to satellite images where the team at headquarters can watch what's going on with JD. Yudkin back at, at the cliff head, Yudkin starts a prayer, a prayer for JD for his soul in the next life. JD talks about not being a believer before Yutkin turns to shoot Jack. Blonde chick, she pulls a gun and shoots Yutkin first. JD runs over to his son and hugs him, but the blonde chick pulls the gun on JD. She wants the car keys and takes them before finding the jammer piece in JD's pocket, meaning it was going to work and he's played her. She decides to walk away instead of shooting him, but gives JD Yutkin's phone and says, why don't you find, why don't you phone a friend? You might be surprised who answers. She drives off and JD uses the phone. At headquarters, there's a phone vibrating. It's Rankin's phone. Mackie pulls her gun on him. That's it. That's the cliffhanger for the end of season one. Big episode, big recap. This hit Paramount Plus in Australia on the 29th of December, 2023. It's not gonna air in the USA on CBS until the 23rd of January, 2024. This was filmed again in and around Sydney Harbour, some great locations in Matraville and lots of really nice coastline throughout as well. What are my early thoughts on this episode? Uh, what a way to go out, I guess. I think the tension throughout this episode was excellent. The cliffhanger, which we'll get to a little bit later on, a little bit unsold on, but hey, this was an exciting episode. Really good way to finish the season and, and make an audience want some more. So I'm pretty impressed with this one. But let's talk about some characters. We usually go through and talk about you know, what did we learn about each of the characters uh, in this episode? Not a lot, really. We've, we've come to know these characters a lot over this season. Mackie, again, she gives lots of space, or she's given lots of space in this episode to shine. Between her and JD, this this really gives them the opportunity to, to stand forward and, and show what they're made of. It's, it shows that Mackie's got good re working relationships with um, Carter on that Asian international front, as well as Rankin, who, who represents the Americans in Australia as well. So that's good to see. Emotionally, I guess this is JD's episode. We, we'd heard all about his son previously, but to have this episode where his son's taken, it gives him a lot of ammunition and, and sort of shows some of his irrational behaviors and his disbelief in others as well. So that was a really good episode for JD. Deshaun, I mean, we have a moment where he could talk himself up as usual about how good he looks. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of a cookie cutter sort of character. The same with Evie, opportunities to sort of, you know, put shit on Deshaun as always. And that opportunity, I guess, went begging to try and solidify a romantic link with Deshaun because that's what I guess I wanted. We do find out she doesn't like clowns in this episode too. Blue, uh, finally, I guess, the perfect amount of weirdness in an episode. It didn't go overboard. It wasn't too much. I liked Blue in this episode. If you've been listening, 
I haven't been a big fan. So thank you to the writers. <laughs> Blue, good this episode. And the same with uh, Doc. Some good one-liners as always and just had a really nice little role to sort of support the team in this episode. So that was good. All right, what are some scenes that stood out? What are some things that didn't that I didn't like? Standout scenes for me, uh, sort of, I guess, JD going back to his ex-wife, Beck, to sort of speak to each other face-to-face after their son's been kidnapped. It was just a really good performance from both, highlighting the, the craziness of the situation and the emotional impact of it of a son going missing, I guess. There's a line there where um, Beck says to JD, you're an ex-husband, not an ex-father. I thought that was great. That was a really good line. Uh, JD and Mackie, there's a scene where they're talking outside outside, and they're both really emotional about his son missing and, and JD's really upset about it. And Mackie is too about having to tell JD to take a step back, but sort of promising him that she'll do anything to make sure his son comes back safe. I like that scene. Mackie goes to Rankin at one stage to ask for help in his big high-rise building in, in Sydney CBD. I thought, you know, I think a lot of those scenes throughout the, the the season in Rankin's office have been pretty good. I thought that him talking or Rankin talking about what he would do for his kids and, and that whole idea of how big the FBI and the American government is and that idea that holding the FBI back is like um, holding the tide and you can only do so much before you're swept under. I thought that was a good line too. Doc and JD in his office. It was just a nice scene where JD's obviously just exhausted because his son's missing. He doesn't know what to do. And Doc sort of calms him down and talks about the cost of their jobs. I like that too. JD running at that exploding van sort of felt like the first explosion that didn't look com- completely computer-generated computer generated, um, images. I thought that was cool as well. There's a scene where Doc stands up for the team with the FBI and... I liked that. It was really good. It was nice. And he sort of asked by one of the American guys, you know, and who are you? And he says, thoroughly unimpressed with your matching haircuts. I had a laugh. I thought that was good. And that whole situation with JD, his son, that Irkin dude and the blonde chick on the cliff to finish the episode off, that was super tense. I thought that was really, really well done as well. Um, What didn't I like? I think that the blonde chick, uh, she sort of frustrated me a bit at the end of the last episode too, but herself, giving herself the name of Anonymous, like Anonymous, it's a bit laughable, like seriously. We see these these detectives are pretty smart, so I'm not sure why they didn't pick up on that. There's a scene where JD throws a chair at the blonde chick in the interrogation room. It was never going to hit her. That was just really put, poorly put together. And Blue and Mackie, the, the, the one scene, there's always, I guess there's always a scene where Blue annoys me, but there's a scene where she's like calling her mum or mam. That was just lame. <laughs> Didn't get any laughs from that. Uh, what do we take away from it? Aussie Ockerisms. Uh, some good ones this episode. I think that, you know, throughout the, the series, there's been some ups and downs. For this one, uh, there were a few good ones. There was um, the word doozies. I like that. That's that idea of, you know, not very good. Rip into me, like have a go at someone. Unlucky buggers. I mean, <laughs> it's just a very Aussie term. Um, steady on, like hold up, I guess. Uh, settle down tiger, same sort of thing. And JD said, um, good on you. I <laughs> just really like that. Just really good Aussie. Uh, the other sort of thing I really took away from this episode, that the the trick that J- uh, JD played with the blonde chick about that jammer, jammer not working. I thought that was good. I like that. I thought that was really clever. All right. Themes, ideas, questions, ponderings, thoughts. What do we take away from this episode? I guess we go back. This links closely to the first episode of the season and that idea of the might of the USA, of the US, their, their ships, their people, they come in, they do what they want. Who is on whose team? I get that idea. I like that. That idea of working in the field, it comes at a cost. That was really good too. The idea in this one, a little bit of faith, religion, custom, tradition, devout, not, souls, praying for them, those that believe, those that don't. I thought that was good as well. 
uh, revenge, that idea of revenge, wanting it, and not necessarily following through with it. I guess we see with our blonde chick in the end as well. Uh, there's questions, I guess. What did we get shown? I'm uh, oh, sorry, not what. Why did we get shown that blonde chick picking her handcuffs in the interrogation room if JD was going to let her out anyway? That just didn't make sense. I'm not sure. That felt like a weird cut when we see her literally picking the, the handcuffs then he takes her anyway. So it didn't leave any intrigue that I think anyone watching this show would know that he had her in the back of that van. It wasn't like she'd done a runner. So I thought that was weird. Um, a big deal is made about the FBI giving their paperwork over to Mackie to sort of prove that they're here to take the prisoner. And then Mackie gives it to Blue, really specific. Is this just trying to trick the audience into thinking that Blue would look at it and, and think it was fake or something like that? Because that felt really weird. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, that idea about... Uh, a theme or an idea I guess about having a deal like a promise and following through with it trust that idea of trust is big in this too and and I guess the the cliffhanger or the expose at the end the that Rankin is the rat just too obvious I think like way too obvious I've been onto like well, we're going to talk about it in a second but I think most people watching this show would have been onto the idea that Rankin was the rat a long time ago so let's sort of talk about this season I guess like some questions from throughout the season I, I sort of pondered questions each episode have they been answered let's go back and look at them I guess and we go back to episode one and I sort of had a thought, I guess, is that what do we know about the characters' lives currently? We, we get about a, a lot of backstory, but we don't really know what they do day to day. That might be something good for season two to show us. I had that question about McNamara, the scientist that uh, Blue took over from. Would he be back? And that's all right. That was answered for us in episode three. So we did have one answer for that. Blue's sticking around uh, with the team. Russians being implicated as the bad guys. Yes, I guess that's still, or not necessarily, yes, well, I guess it was the Orthodox Church that they went to, so yes, the Russians were still the bad guys at the end of this season as well. Uh, the reveal of the Ken Carter dude from the NCIS field office in Southeast Asia in Singapore. This was in episode one. Felt like a big reveal. I had that question or that idea, like, am I missing something? Did I miss him from something else? We get him again briefly in the final episode. Let's see if we see him some more next season, I guess. Uh, it's not over, I guess, that, that you know, the the woman that we saw for episode one that we're still at the end of episode one episode one we had those photo booth shots of her she was on that dating app we thought she was on like had something to do with that boat explosion we know that now where she gone is anyone going to catch her what's going to happen so that's a good sort of segue into season two as well i guess um from episode three i guess we had that uh, footage of the client that um you know the, the people in the boat episode were trying to buy it like I guess that was them. We didn't get a sort of follow through from that as well. The CIA, we were told we're spying on people. So is that these people? I guess, I don't know. Um, in episode four, Deshaun and Evie took that romantic selfie on the coast. And, you know, I was talking about this most of the season. Were they going to get together? They didn't, I guess. All that we got was uh, Deshaun having that photo on his screensaver in episode six. So that's that one too. Episode five, Mackie did kill someone. <laughs> There wasn't any follow-up for that. Didn't see any trauma from her from that either. Um, episode six at the end of the episode, Evie um, was sort of on her phone smiling. This was that whole episode about her and, and being in that drug underworld. There was that guy, Kane, that she had some previous relationship with. Is he still on? We didn't get a follow-up on that either. And then episode seven, the, the second last episode, as I said before, it was the first to be continued episode. And, and I think we probably got most of the answers from that it was almost like a two-part finale to be honest um on the on the actual posts for each episode i put a question out to for audience members to answer 
um, that the first episode, I wanted to know, are you going to continue with the series? Well, I obviously followed it through right through the eight episodes. If you're still listening to this, you've probably followed it through too. Episode two, my question was, will there be a love story between Evie and Deshaun? I sort of touched on that before. We got a half sort of story there from the two of them. Um, episode three, here we go. Is Rankin a bad guy? <laughs> we go all the way back to episode three and I'd sort of already picked it that uh, he was probably going to be the rat inside the ranks at the end. Episode four, the question was, should Mackie have saluted Frank in return? I still feel a little bit upset about that, that she didn't salute that guy. <laughs> um, he saluted her and she didn't. In the end of the day, it's not a big thing. Um, episode five, I thought of, sort of thought maybe Doc would retire by the end of the season, but that hasn't happened. We've still got season two, possibly, where he retires. Um, episode six, I asked, who is better officer, Mackie or JD? I think it's hard. The The season finale showed them both so, so well. So I think they're both still even on that one. And then finally, last, last episode, it was a bit of a funny question where the girls were thought they were all going to die and they played that... Um, kill murder marry sort of game um and i was wanted to know who did blue pick we still don't know but i'm still guessing it was doc <laughs> well that's it we're ready to wrap this episode up um i think you know we give the episode a rating out of five anchors i think it was a great way to end the season even if all the loose ends weren't really tied up i guess you know if we've got a second season hopefully they do this episode i, I was on the edge of my seat most of the way um i really really hope i've been talking about it as if you know a second season's been announced it hasn't I really hope there is a second season because I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed talking about it. I hope you've enjoyed listening. This episode, I'm giving a four out of five. Best episode of the season, I think. Um, some ups, some downs. Good season. We're on socials. We're on Twitter. Form- oh, sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Marathon, which is where you can log television shows as you watch them. The question is, what happens to Rankin? So we, we cut to the end of the episode. What happens to him? Is he arrested? Does Mackie shoot him? Does he pull a gun? How is season two going to open if we do get a season two? I'm interested. I hope you are too. As I've sort of touched on, this is this is it for season one of NCI Sydney. I, I hope you've enjoyed the ride. I, I have. It's been great to see an Australian show sort of gather a bit of international attention too. It's been going well in America, which has been good to see. I think it still sort of has one of the top two scripted debuts of the year in America, which is great. Um, I sort of mentioned back at the start that I wanted to do this show when NCIS Hawaii started. So going back a few years ago, just never got around to it. Life sort of gets in the way and it has been hard getting <laughs> these eight episodes out a week. But if there's interest in me jumping back onto other shows, please let us know. The feedback for the show has been really good. Um, I've been amazed with the listener numbers. So thanks to everyone for jumping on board, listening, giving us some feedback. I'm, I'm going to have a break. <laughs> It's nearly New Year in Australia. We've still got a month until this episode airs in America, but give us some feedback. Do you want me to jump onto the original NCIS? Should I do Hawaii, New Orleans, New Orleans? <laughs> or should I have a look at LA? If you want me to, I'm happy to give it a crack. Or I could just, if you could send me through some episodes that I could do a show on, I'm happy to do that too. Other than that, thanks for joining me this season. I hope I'll be back for season two.